Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Glad to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, Exodus chapter 14. We are journeying through Exodus. God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. We have seen God deliver his people out of bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt. He has, he has, God, brought them out of the bond of slavery. Pharaoh would not obey, would not let them go, and God compelled him with a mighty hand to release his people. And God has delivered them. After leading them out of Egypt, he did not take them by the route that made the most sense, but rather into the wilderness where Pharaoh, changing his mind about letting his workforce go, musters his chariots and all of his troops and says, let us go and get the Israelites, subdue them, defeat them, return them, whatever. Pharaoh mounts his army and goes after them and traps a vulnerable and weak Israel against the Red Sea. As we move through the narrative of Scripture, this moment in time that we are in right now, Israel is trapped between a sea they cannot cross with an army coming down upon them. And we've been examining the reality of the enemy's work in this life coming after us when we are vulnerable and when we are weak. Many in the room understanding and relating to uh, that uh, type of position, that situation in life where I'm vulnerable and I'm weak. And if that's not bad enough, here's the attack of the enemy coming after me. In Exodus 14... 10 through 14, we are examining four characteristics that both mark a vulnerable and weak people and that are how a vulnerable and weak people should live. In Exodus 14, 10 through 12, we are seeing four characteristics that mark a vulnerable and weak people forgetting the Lord, followed by four ways that a vulnerable and weak people can find protection and strength in remembering the Lord. I had brought these out last week, those characteristics as I examine Scripture, those things that we see of the children of Israel in these short four verses, the fear of life around them, fearful, lamenting what they've left, where they've been, thankless, not recognizing what has been done for them, and despairing, seeing no hope. They have forgotten the Lord in this moment. I think I want to highlight that they have not necessarily turned their back fully on him, but they are not focused on him. They are fearful. Instead of being fearful, instead of lamenting, instead of being thankless, and instead of despairing, the children of Israel should have focused on the Lord. They should have longed for what God had promised them. They should be thankful for what God has done for them, and they should be learning to depend on God. I have been keeping two key thoughts out in front of us. I I see them as the theme of this chapter. If, If I were to preach all of Exodus 14 in one setting, I would focus on God saying he will get glory And the children of Israel seeing God get glory. 
I see that as the theme of the entire chapter, and all we're doing is breaking down to understand that in a greater way. If I were to, I've used the analogy before, if Exodus 14 were a wet washcloth and I had to get it dry, I would be wringing every drop of water out of the washcloth on the point that God will get glory and God's people will see God get glory. Now we've been looking inside that a little bit more. We examined our enemy through the life of Pharaoh, we examined our enemy. Pharaoh, the enemy of the ancient children of Israel, a type of Satan or devil to us, our enemy, the people of God now. So we see Pharaoh as Satan. We see Israel as us. And in fact, one and the same. God has one people. One enemy against God and against God's people and one people of God. We examined last week the fear that Israel was gripped by, in verse 10, they feared greatly. And let's read 10 through 14 again, just to remember where we are. Pharaoh has come after them. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near the people of Israel, lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you And you will have only to be silent. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to this moment, I find myself inadequate to the task. And I plead with you to help me, to speak through me, and to give me the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, to speak in this moment. I see myself as the people of Israel, vulnerable and weak. Father, I desire that you would speak to your people here gathered Father, to the Christian, that you would help them understand you are their strength in a vulnerable and weak state. Father, and to the unsaved among us, that they would look to you and embrace Christ by faith through the preaching of your word and through the testimony of your church here gathered. Father, I pray that you would help us to long for what you have promised. Today, Father, as your word goes forward in this place and in many places, indeed around the world, I pray God, that you would humble sinners to repentance and salvation. God, I pray that your people, through the preaching of your word, would be prompted and encouraged to live in holiness and godliness. And Father, I pray that through the preaching of your word this day, Christ, the Savior, would be exalted in all the earth. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I titled the sermon today, Longing, Not Lamenting. Longing, not lamenting. I'm going to explain that word, lamenting, to lament. I'll explain that in just a bit. From the text today, I hope, and I have prayed this week as I have studied, I hope to stir the Christian to a deeper longing for what God has promised. And I hope to call those among us who may not be saved to gain what God has promised. That is what I hope the text will help us with today. Verse 10, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. The enemy pursues us when we are weak and vulnerable, Pharaoh said. 
They're trapped against the sea and the wilderness has shut them in. Let us go after them. The enemy pursues us like this. When we are weak and vulnerable, when we are trapped, I want it to remain clear through these messages. This second of four brief messages in Exodus. When I talk about people forgetting God and remembering God, I'm talking about the people of God. If you're here today without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I do not know what you could remember. I urge you to call on his name and to be saved, that you may remember him in times like these. But those without God in the world, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, those without God in the world are without God and they have no hope. There is not something for them to forget. They are in a natural state, separated from Christ, separated from the people of God, separated from God. There is not something for them to remember. So as I talk about those forgetting and those remembering, I am focusing on the people of Israel in the text and us today, the people of God. When a vulnerable and weak people forget the Lord, they lament the old life. Lament. Probably not an extremely foreign word to us all. I didn't even go to the dictionary for it because I think that we understand what the word lament is. There's a book in the Bible, Lamentations. It is the crying, it is the wailing, it is the grief. Lament. You may have heard me say, when people forget the Lord, they lament the old life. And you may have thought, Pastor, aren't we supposed to lament and to be sorrowful for our old life? Aren't we supposed to feel the weight of our sin and to have regret for the way we lived apart from God? Absolutely. Yes. But I am using the word lament in the sense that the Israelites will show us regretting the deliverance of God and wanting to return to what he delivered them from. So lament to regret something, and what the people of Israel are regretting is that God delivered them. How, how strange, how foreign, how could they forget? How could they want to return? Let's examine first why I would say, and we're going to get there in subsequent weeks, but it's going to be a long time, so I want to bring them up here. The, the Israelites lament what God has done, why? And, and think about reasons that we regret where we've been and sometimes wanting to go back. Because following God is just not worth it. Because living this life is, is too hard. Because following God just didn't work for me. These are thoughts in our minds that cause us to look over our shoulder and say, man, I... Things were better back there. Man, man, I'll put my hand up for all of us. How many times? Things were so much easier. They were just good. And I want to go back to when things were okay and they're not okay anymore. And the words of Christ haunted me this week as I considered moments in my life where I have lamented the old life and the words of Christ come saying, whoever puts his hand to the plow, putting your hand to the plow, being likened to being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever grabs a hold through faith in Jesus of the Lord, puts a hand to the plow, you understand the old-fashioned plows, not like the 32-foot awesome disc in Culta Packer that rah, takes up the whole, man, I love those things, but like plowing, pushing, and working, and turning the ground over by hand. Whoever puts their plow their hand to the plow, grabs a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and looks back, Jesus says, is not fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. Why would we need to look forward? Because if you put your hand to the plow, even if you're mowing the lawn or driving a tractor or whatever you're doing, if you are going forward and you look behind, what happens? Here comes a tree. Here comes a ditch. Here comes a person. Like, you're not going straight and you're going to run into something. You're going you're to destroy something when you are going forward but look back. And Christ says, those who are following after me, the, the analogy is that those who are following Christ would look with their eyes fixed on Christ and go after Christ and nothing else and not look behind them. And when we do, we get off course. And this is a very major issue seen throughout the history of the Israelite people, specifically from Egypt to the promised land. We're going to deal with that in a second as well. A very big issue. Here, they say, is it because there were no graves in Egypt, Moses? We could have died in Egypt and we could have been buried there. We could have died better there. Then they say it right down in verse 12. Then in the wilderness. Where what's the, what's the picture we have in our mind of somebody in the wilderness dying? Eventually they're just going to fall over dead. And they're going to be dehydrated and they'll just die. And their body will shrivel up and then there will be a skeleton on the sand of the wilderness is it because there are no graves in Egypt? We could have died there, Moses, in Exodus chapter 15, just, just one chapter away, after they crossed the Red Sea. What are we going to drink? The people of Israel immediately across the Red Sea, what are we going to drink? In Egypt, we had water. They don't say those words, but that's absolutely what is implied in the text. Now what? Great, Pharaoh's dead, we're across the Red Sea, and now we're in this other wilderness, and what are we going to drink? Now what? Exodus chapter 16. They're not, they're not even to Mount Sinai yet, which when we get there, we'll see how long it took them from Egypt to Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 16. Would that we had died in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat. So they're lamenting now, like, we had food back there, Moses. We had water, we had food. There were good graves to be buried in instead of just falling dead in the wilderness. In Numbers, still on their way to the promised land, not yet there. In Numbers, they cry out one of my favorite quotes. We could have died better because we remember the fish that we ate at no cost. We remember the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic, and the bread to the full, without cost. But here we are, subsisting on water from a rock, and bread from heaven. Oh, man. We could have died better in Egypt, lamenting, regretting. Why have you done this? Look, look what they say. We're going to get there. Look what they say. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? We're no better off now, Moses. We're in a worse place now than we were before. And how many times in the Christian life do we think it was better there than it is here? You know what the reality is? Your eyes have been opened to the struggle that's actually around you. Those lost in the world don't realize they're in the middle of a spiritual war. They have no concept of what's going on around them. They're just walking through this life, the Bible says, dead. Not alive or awakened to the things spiritual. And then when Christ 
when the Father loves and Christ redeems and the Spirit regenerates, our eyes become open. This is the Apostle prayers. This is the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Gentiles. Oh, Father, open the eyes of the blind. Christ said, I came to give sight to the blind. This is what it means. Now I'm aware of. But these are the people of God, someone may say. That's true. How could the people of God forget and want to go back? I want us to remember. It's very easy for us to forget as we study the ancient people of Israel. In fact, perhaps you've grown up under teaching that doesn't even say this, but the people of Israel are not holy in and of themselves. The people of Israel are not significant or special on their own. The people of Israel were lost. They were needing deliverance. They were needing redemption. They were needing a God to dwell with them. They were as unsaved are now and always have been, as many in this room were and some may be, they were without God and without hope in the world. And God, through the plagues in Egypt, remembering his promise to their ancestor 400 years removed, delivers them by his own power, for his own glory, for his own purpose. It's easy for us to lose sight of it. This is precisely why we spent so much time working through Exodus 12. This is all that the Passover meal is about. It's all that the lamb is about. The people of Israel needed to be delivered. They needed to be redeemed. And they would struggle remembering what was and forgetting what is to be. Lamenting, not longing. Now why would we, why would they, why would we lament the old life. Think about it. Christian in the room, redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ, living a new life now and awaiting one in glory. Think about the old life for a minute. Why would the Israelites lament the old life? I want to highlight, I've just talked about the things that they say. We don't have water. We don't have food. We don't have meat. We don't have cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. We don't have any of these things. We don't have good graves to even die in. The old life was better. I want to highlight for you, that's what they thought about. And here's the reality of their old life. Exodus chapter 1, 13 and 14. Ruthlessly, the Egyptians made the people of Israel work as slaves. They made their lives bitter with hard work and hard service. Exodus chapter 1, 16 and 22, Pharaoh attempted to kill every male born to the Hebrews. We talked about this way back in Exodus chapter 1. His attempt was male infanticide. I will kill all the males and I will not worry about them because once all their males are dead, they won't be able to reproduce. They'll intermarry with the Egyptians. I will breed them out of my country and we will, wow, doesn't this sound like something else in our history, have a pure race of Egyptian people and not worry about the Israelites anymore. <laughs> Pharaoh attempted infanticide. Exodus 2, 11 and 5, 14 lead us to believe that the Egyptians had no problems beating the Israelites. Remember why Moses flees Egypt in the beginning? Because he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Exodus chapter 5 tells us that after Moses had come to Pharaoh and after Pharaoh had refused to let the people go, they made their service even harder 
And it says that the taskmasters over the Israelites were beaten by the Egyptians. The, 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 the chiefs, the foremen of the Israelite people, the taskmaster of Egypt, beat them. So apparently they had no problem abusing them physically. Now, the scripture does not say, so we must always be careful. Two instances of people being beaten by Egyptians, we can understand that other things were probably happening at the hand of the Egyptians among the Israelite people. They were treated unfairly. Make those bricks without straw. Fetch your own straw. Figure it out, but don't drop the quota. Well, that's not fair. We don't care. We're lords over you. Do what we've said. And they were told, make the bricks without straw. Same amount. The work made heavier. The work made harder. Wow, do you remember the old life, Christian? Maybe, maybe, maybe as you sit here today, maybe the old life is still the now life. In Christ we are new. Do you remember the old life? Christian, I want you to remember the old life and what God has done for you. Can't ever forget, I talked about it on New Year's Day. If you joined us on New Year's Day, the sermon I preached that Sunday, old and new, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That is what the work of Jesus Christ does in the life of a redeemed sinner. I want you to remember the old life. It's not going away. I don't want to remember this. Maybe somebody is here in agony this morning because you do remember the old life and you do not want to go back to it. I don't want to go back to the old life. I never want to go back there. And I don't want any of you to go back to whatever that was. And I want to see people rescued from whatever it is and through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is precisely what happens. Remember the old life? Let's take a quick look at what the Bible says the old life is. Ephesians 2.1, dead. Not actually living. All of the people in the world that we see enjoying themselves and having such a great time are actually not having such a great time. They're walking dead men. Walking dead people. God talked about the walking dead long before major television networks ever thought to make it a TV show. When you observe humanity unredeemed through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are observing the walking dead. The Bible says they will pass from death to death, never having lived, experiencing the goodness of God in this life because God is good and passing to everlasting destruction. Ephesians 4.22, the old life corrupt. Boy, of the tangents we could probably all go on talking about corruption in the world today. You know why? Because without Jesus Christ, we're corrupt people. Every, every form of life is corrupt no matter how good it actually is. The best government on the face of planet earth is corrupt because sinners lead it. The best church in the world has corruption in it because that is the product of the fall. Now we strive through Christ to honor him and live godly. And apart from Christ, there's no hope to live godly. You're just flat out corrupt. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3 says that the old life, you just lived for what pleased you. Living in sensuality is the word that Peter used in the English Standard Version of the Bible. 
Living for what pleases you. I won't take a poll through a show of hands for how many of you have been wholly satisfied in living for what pleases you. I remember every single road that came to an end when I lived for myself and what pleases me. All of the, gratific- all of the gratification, all of the satisfaction, all of the pleasure, anything that you can accumulate in living for yourself and at the end of the road, at the end of the day, you're empty and you have nothing because you have lived for nothing. From the dust you came and to the dust you shall return. Solomon said, what good is it if a man has everything that he can accumulate? He might have to leave it to a fool. Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Remember the old life? Slaves. You see, we're no different than the people of Israel. Slaves. To what? I wasn't a slave. No taskmaster held me. No, the taskmaster wasn't an Egyptian and the evil lord wasn't Pharaoh. In the old life, the master were the passions and desires of your heart, disconnected from faith in Jesus Christ. Wicked, hopeless, helpless, dead, having no hope and without God in the world. Let's consider what the old life had to promise us. I want you to remember it. The old life promised you death. The old life promises death. Some life to lament over, huh? Some life to look back and this following Jesus just isn't working for me. I want to go back. It's too hard. No, I want to see people rescued. I praise God to stand in a room with people who are rescued. That's the term the Bible uses. You have been rescued, Christian. Redeemed by the hand of God. Rescued, Colossians says, out of the domain of darkness. And transferred, brought into the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you have new life here this morning or are you living in the old life? I have to ask it right here. It's not a let's wait till the end and get to the gospel message. It's time for us to remember the gospel. It's time for us to call the gospel out to those in the room who may not have yet embraced Christ by faith. In a moment, we're going to remember it with this meal. But first, the gospel. That's what changes old to new. Do you have new life? Do you sit here this morning with the hope of eternal life in you? I not only have the hope of eternal life, I'm living a new life right now. Are you living a new life, Christian? It's really good to look forward to the hope of eternal life, but are you living a new life now? Because if you're not living a new life now, I'm concerned about the hope you have for eternity. When the Spirit of God regenerates, the Bible says, a dead life to new life we change. And if you're here this morning and the old life is the now life, then what regeneration through faith in Christ because of the love of the Father has happened in you? Waiting for glory. Why why are you living this way if you're waiting for glory? Because we are not to be lamenting the old life and regretting it. Do you have hope of eternal life? The gospel. A holy and righteous God created all things and gave a command and it was broken by man. And every one of us, born into this world, descended from that man, have broken and violated the command of God. 
man sinned and transgressed the command of a holy God. Becoming sinners, being promised death. But the good news, praise God. If you're here this morning, the good news is your news because you're living a new life and the old life is gone. The good news, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He rose again. He appeared to many. He ascended. He will return. Have you responded to that news? What is your response? What do you say? Who do you say Christ is? What is your response to the Lord Jesus Christ? There's a response. He's calling. The Lord Jesus is calling to hearts throughout the world and hearts will hear and hearts will respond and have you. Have you responded to the Lord Jesus Christ? A vulnerable and weak people, when they forget the Lord, they lament the old life. What they should do is remember the Lord by longing for and living the new life. Look what God says to his people through his servant Moses at the start of verse 13. Fear not, stand firm. Longing and living, not lamenting. Stand firm. Israel, Israel, you're not going back there. I've said so. Stand firm in my promise on the shore of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army coming at you. You're not going back there because of my hand. You're mine. I've redeemed you. Stand firm. God has promised. Stand firm. God has a plan. I wonder how many Christians embrace Christ by faith, are genuinely regenerated, born again, made new, but then work on making their own plan instead of understanding God's plan. I'll, I'll just represent us all again. Got my own plan, Lord. Thanks for saving me. I got the rest figured out. Not true. Not true. That's sensuality. That's the old life. The people of God demonstrate longing for the new life by standing firm in the promise of God. A promise that God does not forget. A promise that is not subject to change because an unchanging God made it. God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 2, I remember my covenant, Moses. I never forgot it. But the time for me to act on the promise I made has come. He told Abraham, for 400 years, your people, your offspring, will be afflicted and enslaved in a land that is not their own. But I will return to them, I will visit them, and I will deliver them. They will come back here to this land. God remembers his promise. So one, standing firm in the promise of God, write this down. He's never going to forget it. Number one. Number two, or 1.1, he's not ever going to forget it, and he's going to do precisely what he said he would do. God tells Moses of a life to long for. Remember? Israel has been redeemed from slavery in Egypt. To what? For the glory of God, absolutely. For the purpose of God, yes. But to what? 
I've come, God said to Moses. I have come down to deliver my people, and I will take them from their bonds of affliction, and I will bring them to what? To a land. They've got a destination. The people of God are going from bondage to a destination. I will take them. You can see it back in Exodus chapter 3. I will take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. After God tells that to Moses, God tells Moses to tell the people. This is how it works. Moses is such a perfect picture of a preacher. I don't have any idea what you all think a preacher is supposed to be. A preacher hears from God and tells people what God has said. God tells Moses, I've come down to deliver them. Now go tell the people, hey, God's come to deliver you. He's going to deliver you out of this bondage to a land flowing with milk and honey. After Pharaoh, like they believed him, we should note that, the end of Exodus chapter 4, the people believed when they saw the signs and heard the words of Moses, they believed and worshipped God. They received the truth. Then in Exodus chapter 5, as soon as Pharaoh finds out that Moses has come to take these people away, and he says, I don't think so, the people immediately forget, and God reminds them, I've come to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. I have come to take you out of this miserable, wretched existence of a life to something greater. You're being taken from here to there. What? A land flowing with milk and honey. People, church here gathered, Israelites then, you don't have to find it. You don't have to get your phone out, open your GPS and type in a name. You don't have to cultivate it when you get there. You don't have to clear ground and build a home. You don't have to plant vineyards and raise food. God says to the children of Israel and he says to us, I've done it all. It's my plan and you're my people and I've done it all. And what will the people of Israel inherit when God takes them? They're going to inherit homes they did not build and vineyards they did not plant and wine overflowing that they did not prepare because God did. And do you know what Jesus Christ says to us this morning? I've gone to prepare a place for you. We are a people not of this world. The redeemed through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have a king who says, I've redeemed you, I've delivered you, I will dwell with you, I'm coming for you, you're going to another home. Jesus, John 14. John 14, 1 through 4 and verse 6. Pastor, why'd you leave out verse 5? Hang on. You believe in God, Jesus said. You believe in God. Believe also in me. This is a call to everyone in the room. We don't just believe in God. Do we believe in God? Yep. Check mark. We believe in God. We believe also in the Lord Jesus Christ, the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth to the glory of God. We believe in God, believe also in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, believe also in me. What are we believing? That he's God in the flesh. That he came and lived this life, didn't sin, paid for sin in his death, rose again the gospel. What is your response? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Not 
there's a land somewhere out there that I'll check out and maybe I'll make ready for you. We don't pay attention enough to what Christ says. In my Father's house are many rooms from before the foundation of the world. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. We're in the wilderness right now. Maybe you're still in Egypt. I want you to be delivered through the hand of God. We're in the wilderness right now, and we have a king who's leading us through the wilderness to an eternal home. He says, I'm the way. You know the way to where I'm going? One of his disciples says, we don't even know what you're talking about, dude. Why? Forgetting. Like right in Jesus' face. We don't know where you're going. I'm the way, Jesus says. I am the way. We don't, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. You get there by me. I just told you where I'm going. My father's house. And there are many rooms, and I'm the way to get there. The promise of God, we remember the Lord, longing for the new life, remembering the promise of God. Do you know what the promise of God is? Just think about it for a minute. What is the promise of God? What do I believe the promise of God is? Health, wealth, prosperity, better stop or I'll throw up. The promise of God. What is the promise of God? John wrote to us, the promise of God is eternal life. You know what that means? You got to endure something before you get there because we're not there. The promise of God is eternal life. Given to us, how? Given to us by obeying God. The promise of God is eternal life, 1 John 2, 25. Given to us by obeying the command of God. Who's going to obey the command of God? The people of God. The people of God will obey the command of God. And what is the command of God? That you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. A lot of people not doing that. A lot of people in the church not doing that. It's right there in front of us that you obey God by believing the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and loving one another just as he commanded us. You want, you, want, you want 24 steps to a new you in 2023? Try two. Love God with everything and love people as yourself, as he commanded. We stand on the promise of God, longing for what he has promised. and We stand firm in the plan of God. We will remember God and not be tempted to lament the old life when we remember the plan of God. What is the plan of God? Well, to deliver, to redeem, and to dwell with his people. To reveal his glory in all things, in all ways, in all purposes, by all means. You understand? Uh, check your heart. How many people have been disturbed by the news in the last week? Just check your heart. You've looked at something in the news and you've just been disturbed, right? Probably all of us. You know what all that is doing? It's achieving the glory of God. God will be glorified by all 
means. He will use all things and be glorified in them. The plan of God is to reveal himself and his glory. Thankfully, he reveals himself and his glory to vessels of mercy. Those who through faith embrace Jesus Christ for their salvation. And he reveals his glory in the judgment on vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Those who do not place their faith in Jesus Christ. The plan of God to deliver his people, to deliver his people from their bondage and their burden, to redeem his people to himself for himself. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is not, let's not get too crazy, this is not, y'all are my people. No, no, no. When God says they will be my people, the Bible says that A number beyond count was before the throne, worshiping the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We will fall in submission to our King who has saved us. When you stand firm in the promise and plan of God, you not only demonstrate that you are longing for a new life, but that you have been given new life right now. I don't ever want us to get so confused and longing for the new life that we think so much about it that we think it's only there. One day it will all be over and it will all change. And right now it should have all changed. It's a both and, do you understand? It's that tension of already and not yet. I'm already a child of God. I've already received, Ephesians says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places but I have not yet realized those things in full. The promise of God is not just for a new life in the future. It is for new life right now. Are you living a new life right now? Are you longing for a new life through living a new life? God delivered and redeemed Israel from Pharaoh. I want us to pay attention to this. And the Israelites were changed in a moment. From slave to wearing clothes of the Egyptians, to carrying silver and gold out with them, to walking out triumphantly. It says here defiantly in verse 8, God delivered Israel from Pharaoh and Egypt and the Israelites' life changed in a moment. By the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, old dead souls are brought to new life and we not only find life eternal, we find new life now. Hope for eternity, and hope for tomorrow, and hope for the next five minutes through faith in Jesus Christ. I want us to note, new life in Christ does not mean an end to trouble in this world. That's a false bill of goods that I've heard sold by people who shouldn't handle the word of God all my life. Because if you tell people that salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is going to change everything in here, you need to stand at the bedside of a dying person who's not healed and goes to be with Jesus in glory after trusting him through faith. What changed? Not this life, but the next one sure did. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is not an end of woe. In fact, it's the opposite. As I said at the beginning, your eyes are opened. The spiritual realities of this present darkness become real. The Israelites are changed in a moment. But look, there's Pharaoh's army. Oh, there's the water. We're trapped. What changed? Nothing. Changed in a moment, still in a bad spot. 
I don't ever want to sell a false bill of goods that says, just trust Christ and he'll take care of everything. I'll be okay. That's true. But you might still fight anxiety, fear, and depression. You still might fight addiction. You might still have marital strife. You might still be tempted to steal. You might still hate people. That's the continual putting off of the flesh. You're still going to live in this world and watch corrupt governments take advantages of people. You're still going to watch abortions happen and innocent children and people die in senseless wars. Faith in Jesus Christ does not mean everything is rosy now. It means everything is rosy there. And I will labor through this life with hope in Jesus Christ. But look at the words of God to his people. Stand firm. God has promised. I promise I will bring you up out of affliction. The promise is eternal life. And we've seen God through all of Scripture make good on all of his promises. That's where we're going. A place prepared. A place prepared for the people of God. No more pain. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more death. No more corruption. No more faulty governments. No more bad finances. No more marital strife. No more flawed parenting. No more, I can't overcome this thing. No more. No more senseless war. No more depression. No more anxiety. No more abandonment. No more stress. No more anger. No more jealousy. No more sin in the presence of God. That's where we're going. Israel has no need to fear. No need to lament the old life. No need to look back and say, Whoa, what? we couldn't die there? Been better if we'd have died there. How many times? Been better if I'd have just died before I knew. Listen, if you don't think these are real conversations that you have with real people, let me help you. They're real, and you have them. Pastor's just not worth it. The old life was better than this. I've lost everything. People hate me. I don't like this life that I'm living. I want to go back. Don't go back. You're not going back. If you're redeemed by God, you're not going back. No need to fear, no need to lament. And neither do we. As we consider Israel standing on the side of the Red Sea, seeing the enemy coming down upon them, vulnerable and weak, as we see Moses lift up the word of God to his people, stand firm. It's right for us to ask ourselves. Do you lament the old life? Are you sitting here this morning, in any sense of your life, regretting your life for Christ and wishing you could just go to a time when it was easier? Go back. Maybe it was better back there. Maybe I should just throw in the towel on this life with Christ. It's just not working out. Are you lamenting the old life? Or are you standing in the promise and plan of God, longing for a new life, living a new life, because God has promised and he'll make good on it. He will come through. He will deliver. He will take us from this life to the next. I'm going to close in prayer. We'll observe the Lord's Supper. We'll sing and we'll be on with our day. We must be on our day remembering the Lord, longing and not lamenting. Father, I pray for strength. 
God, help us to walk fixed, our eyes on you, longing, oh, Father, not just for the newness of life, not just for eternity, but God, may we, your people, have a growing burden inside of us that longs for you, to be with you, to be where you are. God, I pray for those stuck in the old life. Save them. God, please, mercy. Father, for those redeemed, strengthen to long for the new and not to lament the old. May we never regret the old life. May we not ever desire to go back to drink the water, to eat the food for better graves. May we stand firm in the promise of who you are, secure in our hope through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, you are good. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.